0: Right at the back of the Spirit of Soho mural, is the man onto whose shoulders Albert Einstein and Stephen Hawking have clambered. The words scientist and physicist hadn't been invented when he was around, so at position number 12, it's the natural philosopher Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton was born in Lincolnshire in 1642 into a troubled family in a troubled decade, one that was marked by epidemics, civil war and the execution of a king. Newton never knew his father who died a few months before Isaac's birth and when his mother remarried three years later she left him in the care of his grandmother. Newton never liked his stepfather and bore antipathy towards his mother for this abandonment for the rest of his life. He was admitted to Trinity College Cambridge in 1661 and although he was already beginning to formulate the ideas that would change the way in which we understand the universe, he didn't much care to share them with anybody else and seemingly preferred to keep it all in his notebooks. During a period of what we would now call lockdown because of the plague, he went into self-isolation for two years back in Lincolnshire, and it was during this time he developed some of his most groundbreaking theories in the fields of physics and mathematics. Newton came to the attention of the Royal Society, of which he would become president years later, at quite a young age after inventing a new type of telescope. When he eventually shared his other theories and discoveries with the Society, the secret was out and he became a celebrated and exalted figure in his own lifetime. Despite almost universal acclaim, he could become enraged by anybody who questioned his ideas, and embarked on several bitter feuds with fellow scientists and mathematicians throughout his life. It's difficult to overstate, though, the importance of Isaac Newton's contribution to our understanding of the physical universe, and his work on gravity and light still form the basis of how astronomy is carried out today. Despite this, and despite Newton's very high opinion of himself, he once wrote... I seem to have been only like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself in now and then finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than ordinary, whilst the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. To find out more about this towering figure, I contacted Ian McDermid. Ian is a journalist and qualified London tour guide with a particular interest in late 17th century London, including its coffee houses, financial markets, writers and natural philosophers. I spoke to him on Zoom, which accounts for the imperfect audio quality and occasional glitch on the line. So Isaac Newton, we all know the story: he sat under a tree, an apple fell on his head, hooray, gravity! The end. Is that about? Is that the full Isaac Newton story?
1: Uh, not exactly. No. In part because the apple probably never fell on his head. I'm afraid. Uh, we think that's a story that the elderly Isaac Newton made up when he was in his 80s to explain gravity. Uh, to somebody in a simple fashion. What the Apple story does reflect, though, is the fact that in 1665 or thereabouts, Newton had his Annus Mirabilis, his his wonderful year. Cambridge University is shut down because of the plague, and he goes back home. And he looks as though he developed or began to develop some of the main ideas that are going to mark Newtonianism and uh, to define him and his contribution to science. And one of the interesting things about Newton is he takes ages to publish anything. So the Principia, which is Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy, only comes out in 1687, and it's in this book that he expounds fully his ideas of gravity. And it's this concept of gravity that's so important about Newton, because it's a force, according to Newton, you can explain an awful lot of phenomena in the universe through gravity, and crucially, it is susceptible to mathematical analysis. And this is the really, the absolutely fundamentally important point because there have been lots of overarching theories of the universe before, but his is the first that you can actually analyse mathematically.
0: Prior to Newton, what was the scientific orthodoxy? I mean, how did they think the planets moved around or, or did they even know they moved
1: if we pedal back in time to about uh, before 1600 the the dominant philosophy was Aristotelianism or scholasticism one interesting detail of scholasticism actually is that it, it it assumes that what goes on in the sublunary sphere with us on earth is quite different from what goes on in the heavens and this is one of the important things about newton's gravity is that you can explain everything in the universe everywhere and then in the 17th century, prior to Newton, you get the development of mechanical philosophy, and this is particularly associated with Descartes, and the idea that the universe is made up of two things, really, matter and motion. So you've got corpuscles swimming around, water searing in the ether, and these are used to explain the planetary motion. In Aristotelian philosophy, it's about things having a natural tendency to do things. It's kind of within their nature that they they will go around. Newton has a system that explains phenomena, and then also in the Principia he introduces his famous three laws of motion. The first one is that if if a body is at rest or moving in a straight line, it will carry on in that state unless it is acted upon by another force. And then there are the the other two. I'll leave out now for for brevity's sake. But with these three laws of motion and with this great overarching phenomenon of gravity, you can explain just about everything. I mean, you can explain the position of everything, you can explain the motion of everything, you can explain the relationship of one thing to another. And one of the great advantages of Newton's Uh, system of gravity is that he's able to explain a lot of the irregularities in planetary motion. So Kepler had observed that the planets move around in ellipses, but there are lots of little irregularities. And with gravity, you can explain those because they're caused by other objects in the universe. It could be other planets or moons. And even if you can't explain them, you can hold out the possibility of being able to explain them later on. So we have to wait, people had to wait until after he died. But one implication of gravity of Newton's theory of gravity, is that the Earth is slightly flatter at the pulses of the equator. And in the 1730s, a French expedition is able to establish that this is the case. And also, Newton's system is repeatable, events are predictable, and he predicts the return of Halley's Comet, which indeed occurs in the 1750s. So once these two things have occurred, there was also experimental proof. One of the things I think that's interesting, though, is that Newton is taken up very widely by intellectuals prior to the experimental Proof. So it's the fact that his ideas are attractive, and the fact that they are subject to mathematical analysis that, that win, win people over.
0: The th- theory of gravity is the thing that we're most associating with him now. But he made a, a huge number of contributions to scientific knowledge. There's also this thing where he split light through a prism into the spectrum of colours, and, uh, and people knew that this was a thing that happened already but what was it that newton was able to infer from this
1: well this is comes into his second great work so his two great publications are the principia which is what we've been talking about up to this point and then in 1704 so very very late on which is the optics um and it's in the optics that he discusses the nature of light and there have been huge debates about the nature of light and newton demonstrates that white light is actually made up of light Uh, of different colours, that uh, white light is a composite. He demonstrates this, and also crucially in the optics, the thing that you've been referring to, where he refracts light through a glass prism, is known as his experimentum crucis, his crucial experiment. And this becomes enormously important as a model for how you do science in terms of doing experiments that are then repeatable and that other people can repeat them and see that your theories are correct
0: all of these ideas and theories and new methods they all just seem to pop out of his head and he changed the way we understand the universe just by the power of his or the power of his thoughts and and, and all of this by the way while he was still a young man in his 20s and 30s which is just mind-blowing I mean, what sort of a person was he was he I mean, did he have any friends? Did he have family? Did he fit into, like, normal human society?
1: This is one of the extraordinary things about Newton, is that he works on his own, and he's very reluctant to share with other people. And he spends about, I think it's 35 years at Cambridge University, and we think of universities as being, well, particularly the old universities as being collegiate by, by definition, and yet he's working on his own. So when he, when he has this year in 1665, and this apocryphal story about the the apple falling on his head. It's him thinking things through on his own, and he's very reluctant to share uh, with other people. And it's partly because he thinks he is so much more clever than everybody else, but he was also notoriously difficult. He had some really fundamental falling out with other people. Robert Hooke was one of them. A very bitter treatment between the two of them. Famously, later on, he has this dispute with Leibniz over which one of them invented calculus. Leibniz complains to the Royal Society about the claims that Newton has been made. And the Royal Society comes out with this objective judgment saying that, no, 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 Newton came up with these ideas first. But it later transpires that Newton had actually written part of the Royal Society's uh, judgment. And and so he he was very, very odd. And in addition to being difficult, in 1693, it looks as though he had some kind of nervous breakdown. He writes some very, very strange letters to people like Locke and these letters accuse these people of all kinds of... Actually, the letters are apologising for having accused them of doing something, and they're very oddly constructed. And there's some suspicion that this nervous breakdown may have been influenced by Newton falling out with a young Swiss uh, mathematician by the name of Douillet, Fatio de Douillet, and it may be that they had some kind of romantic attachment. It certainly looks as though... The relationship was the only one of any kind of emotional importance to to Newton in, in his life. So, yeah, very strange, very difficult, and very much uh, an individual.
0: So he lived to the age of 84, which was very, very old in those, for those times. And most of these big theories and achievements of his were made in the first half of his life. So he spent the last few decades of his life no longer being an active scientist, as far as I can gather although he was still this great man of science of course but what was he doing for these last 30 odd years?
1: Yes so one of the big changes in his life is in 1696 when he moves to London he becomes warden of the mint and then later on he becomes master of the mint and he is here in charge of making sure that the coinage of the realm is made in an accurate manner and is made in a way in which people will have faith in it so he improves improves methods of assaying that is testing the quality of the coins he makes sure that they are made with a a kind of accurate level of purity so people can have faith in the coins he goes after forgers and he's president of the royal society and as president of the royal society he he's he's very much uh, engaged in science but his great creative period is pretty much past, I'd say. I mean, he does work. I mean, he, as I say, he publishes the optics a bit later on and he revises the Principia. He's very active, but the the, the great creative ideas of Newton's life belong to him as a, a, a younger man.
0: We've not said the word Soho yet. No. So why is he on the mural? Well,
1: I was going to ask you this, Dom, because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think the reason he's there is in 1710, he moves into Leicester Fields. He moves into a house in what is now St. Martin Street, which is what is now immediately to the south of Leicester Square. He buys this house in 1710, he owns it to his death, and he lives there until the very last two years of his life when he moves out to Kensington. I think that this is why he is on the Soho mural, because you'll see lots of references to Newton living in Soho, Newton moving to Soho. But I was going to ask you this, because I don't think that that, You'd need a very expansive definition of Soho to include that.
0: Yeah, but I think if I was commissioning a mural of great people who'd lived in Soho, I'd cheat a bit too and expand the boundaries slightly to include Isaac Newton because he's such an important figure. And in fact, when we did the John Snow episode at the epidemiologist a few weeks ago, I, I wrote this little thing suggesting that John Snow and Karl Marx were the people on the mural who'd made the biggest impact on human history. But I think having read a, a bit now about Newton, I'd have to add him to that group too.
1: Yeah, very much so. And contemporaries certainly thought that because Newtonianism Newtonianism is picked up very, very quickly. And he becomes this huge cultural icon and he was apotheosized right through the 18th century. And it's only with the uh, romantic movement that you begin really, I mean, he had his critics, but it's only winterism and uh, people like Blake that you begin to get a, a kind of anti-Newtonian movement as such. And one of the interesting things is the uh, polemical uses to which Newtonianism are put. And again, they're put quite quickly because he's, order, he's his view of the universe is one that's ordered. It runs pretty much according to itself, with everything in balance, it's predictable, and crucial. One thing we haven't mentioned, which is crucial behind this, is that Newton thought that he was revealing the way God works. Newton sees himself as a kind of prophet, explaining the workings of the universe to mankind, and his universe is one that shows the workings of God. And that's that's quite interesting, because later on, people can take this kind of clockwork universe and, and say, well, really, what, what role has God got to do this? He, he may exist, but he, he's not really intervening in any significant way. But for Newton himself and for contemporaries, the, the rational working of the universe showed the hidden hand of God behind it.